This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Baptist Church. Welcome to Living the Bible Together. We would love for you to visit our church located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Good evening, Liberty Hill. Tonight's Bible study will be coming from 1 Peter chapter 2, and our primary focus will be on verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the NIV version, and it reads as follows. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this, now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in if they're reading, let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for once again allowing us to come together to study your word. Lord, it is my prayer that you open every heart under the sound of my voice, open every heart to receive all that you have for us to receive on this evening. And Lord, we will be so careful to give you all the honor and the glory and praise because truly it all belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, our study tonight will be coming out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Primary focus will be that of verses 1 through 10. And so in chapter 2, chapter 2 is a continuation of a epistle, or another word for that would be a letter, written by Peter. And this letter is addressed to God's elect, his chosen people, his new converts, these are Christian people, and these people are in various regions of Asia Minor, known today as what we know of as Turkey. And so at the beginning of this letter, um, as it starts in chapter one, he addresses the issue of their, surf, their suffering and the purpose of it. He, he tells them that the purpose of their trials, the purpose of their suffer, suffering is to refine their faith, meaning the testing of their faith. It is the development of their faith, which leads to the glorifying of God. He then encourages them to persevere in spite of their suffering, reminding them of the living hope they have in the new birth in Christ, meaning that they are to be hopeful with the expectancy of receiving eternal life, which is the, the inheritance that is that God has for us all who are believers, um, the inheritance that is put up and protected by God for the time when Jesus returns. Then he moves on and he reminds them as obedient children not to revert back to their old ways when they didn't know any better, but to be holy in all that they do just as the one who called them is holy. This is very key for us as well. Um, we as Christians, we as followers and believers of Jesus Christ, we are, even though sometimes our flesh would want to revert back to old ways depending on situations, um, 
He reminds us also that as obedient children, we shouldn't revert back to old ways, meaning that even if we may feel like we want to go back or even like, for example, if someone is trying us or they're trying to take us there, take us out of character, there are times when we may, what they used to call me, lay my religion down and I'm going to get with this person. But what Paul is, is what Paul is encouraging us as he is encouraging them is he's saying, be as obedient children. Don't revert back to old ways. You may feel like you want to do that. It may, um, your flesh may want to react in a certain way, but because of our obedience, because we should be obedient to God's word as obedient children, we should choose to obey God and not give in to our fleshly desires. And so again, he is telling them, he's reminding them as obedient children, not to revert back to their old ways when they didn't know any better, but to be holy in all that they do, just as the one who called them is holy. And the same is, um, is the same, this applies to us as well. We are to be holy in all that we are to do and all that we do, just as the one who called us is holy. And then as he moves through this letter, he reminds them that they were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ for from their empty way of life, reminding them to love one another from the heart. And just like them, this applies to us too. We are, we need to be reminded that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Notice that word precious, meaning that precious, when we think about something precious, we, we think about things, um, where we regard them as valuable. So we need to be reminded also that we have been redeemed by precious blood of Christ from the empty way of life. Oftentimes you hear people saying that salvation is free. It may have been free for you or free for me, but it wasn't free. It did cost. It cost Jesus Christ his precious blood. It cost God his son's precious blood to be shed on the cross of Calvary. So again, we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ from the empty way of life. And then he goes on and he says, Peter uh, reminds them to love one another from the heart. This is something worth um, us looking more into where he talks about this word from the heart. Oftentimes people are so quick to say, I love you. But then as soon as you do something that they don't like, or as soon as you have to tell them no, or if you rub them the wrong way, that love that they claim to have for you quickly turns into hate or disdain for you. And so Peter here is reminding them because of God's, um, we have been redeemed and they have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ that we are to love. They are to love one another from the heart. We are to love as God has loved. And then he moves on to share that they have been reborn through the living and enduring word of God. This is also true for us. We have been reborn. We have been reborn through the living and enduring word of God. And this letter continues, and as it continues, it brings, which brings us to chapter two, which our focus this evening, again, will be on verses one through 10. Again, Peter had remind, he reminds them that they have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus and they have been reborn. And because they have been redeemed and because they have been reborn, Peter then instructs them beginning as we look at verse one, Peter instructs them in verse one, he instructs them. He says to therefore rid yourself of all um, malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And so what this is showing us again, he, after he has reminded them that they have been redeemed by the precious blood and they have been reborn, he instructs them to rid themselves by laying aside Malice, malice meaning trouble, wickedness, all manner of wickedness, all manner of evil. And he talks about deceit. Um, in the King James, it uses the word guile, guile, meaning to trick, using trickery or baiting someone as in to set a trap for someone or being deceitful or craftiness. And when I think about craftiness, I'm reminded of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, how he deceived Eve into taking part in, um, in eating the fruit that was forbidden. 
And then he talks about hypocrisy. Um, this word hypocrisy also means deceit. It means fake, um, as in like wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, meaning that you play a part one way, but then you really are another way. And then he talks about e envy, meaning ill will, where we wish ill will on other people, um, or we have jealousy, or we we um, are spiteful towards others. And then he talks about evil speaking, um, that is slander of every kind, um, meaning defamation where you are defaming someone's character or backbiting. And so he, he tells them to rid themselves, meaning lay aside all malice, not some. Lay aside all. You know how some people talk about, I'm going to lay down my religion. Instead of laying down your religion, how about we lay down malice? We, we lay down deceit. We lay down hypocrisy. We lay down evil and envy and evil speaking and slander of every kind. How about we lay down defamation and things of that nature? So, But what I like about that is even though, although that he is pointing out things that they need to get rid of, the negative things that they need to get rid of the, out of their life, he doesn't just stop there. Um, Peter moves on and then he, he gives them the solution on how to grow as a Christian. Okay, first he points out what the negative things that don't coincide with being a Christian. But then he, he moves on and he gives them a solution on how to grow as a Christian. And he, he uses this example as like newborn babies in verse two, as we look at verse two, he says like newborn babies, he tells us to crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, we may grow up in our salvation now that we have tasted that the Lord is good. And so he gives them a solution. The solution is, like I said before, is as a newborn babe, he, he tells us this word, he says to, to uh, crave, meaning to desire. And that word desire means to lust greatly after, to long after, meaning to develop an appetite for it. This reminds me of an example of when I first started dating my husband. Um, he would take me to this, to different restaurants and some of the restaurants that he would take me to, some of the food I had never been exposed to, one being sushi. And every time we would go to a restaurant, I would turn my nose up like, mm, I, don't, I don't like that. And he would always ask the question, well, have you ever tried? And I'd be like, no, but I don't think I would like that. So then he just kind of reminded me, he's like, Kelly, you know, if you haven't tried it, how do you know that you don't like it? So why don't you just at least try it? And so as we began to go to different restaurants, I would try different things. But one thing that I was certainly afraid to try was sushi. And so I knew that he wanted me to have that experience. So I just asked God, I just said, Lord, you know, give me an appetite for new things. Give me an appetite for new foods, things. I don't want to just dismiss things and say I don't like stuff without even trying it. And so God gave me an appetite for sushi. And that's one of my favorite um, meals to eat is sushi. And so, again, he says to like we, we see in verse two, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. And what this is saying is with the spiritual milk that he is talking about is he is talking about the word of God. So he is admonishing them to crave and to lust after the word of God, because it is in the word of God that they will grow spiritually. And just as a newborn baby, when we think of like Peter is painting this picture for us as newborn babies craving their breast, the breast milk from their mother in their first couple of years, that breast milk is essential to their growth. And if they do not, especially in the first year, if they do not get that breast milk or some people use um, formula, those who choose not to um, breastfeed, if they don't receive that breast milk or that formula, especially in that first year of their life, it could be detrimental to their growth and their health. So here in this picture, Peter is sharing with the new converts, and as we can, we can actually draw from this also is like newborn babies, we are to crave pure spiritual milk. When we think about pure, we're talking about unadulterated, the unadulterated word of God. When we think about in the natural, when we think about breast milk, we don't mix it with anything. 
the milk itself, God in his awesomeness, when he created the woman, he put in the breast, um, in the breast milk, all that the baby need to grow. And so what this is saying to us is that as we grow, as we, we need to crave pure, meaning unadulterated, meaning we don't mix nothing with this word of God. God's word can stand all by itself. It's that powerful. God's word has transform, transforming power. It is what we need in order to grow. It is what we need to be sustained. It is especially in this time and season. It is what we need to lean and depend on. Again, un unadulterated, pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God, that we may grow as a Christian. It is important as it is essential for Christian growth. And so as we move on through the verses, it we look at verse three, where it says, now taste, now that you have tasted, Peter tells them that now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, so he says, like newborn babies cure, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What this is saying is he is sharing with them now that you have tasted, now that you have been, you have received the word, you have joined Christ. Now that you know that it is good, continue to taste and see, continue to receive the word, continue to embrace the word. And as we continue to embrace the word, that is where we will be developed. That is where we will mature. That is where we will grow in Christ. And so as we move on, we're looking at verse four. It seems that Peter is now wrapping up this letter. Um, and he says to them, as you Come to him, the living stone. He is referring now to Jesus Christ as the living stone. He is the living stone because he has been resurrected from the grave. So he says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and is precious to him. You, meaning them and you and I, you also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual house, into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what this is saying to us is Peter saying, as we come to him, the living stone who was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, we like living stones, like he, Jesus Christ, because we are supposed to be like Christ, like living stones, are being built into spiritual houses, meaning that we're not doing it ourselves. We are allowing, as we come into the presence of God, as we come to Jesus Christ, as we feast on his word, he is building us into a spiritual house. Notice that word house is not plural, where we all have different these different things that we have going on. He's talking about the spiritual house. He's talking about building the church. And each one of us is a living stone and we are all important in the body of Christ. And as he, he, as we come to him, he is building, he is placing us individually um, within this house that he is building. He is placing us exactly where he wants to put us. He, he will put one in the middle, he will put one at the top, he will put one on the side, he will put one on another side, but all of the living stones, all of us collectively are important for the building of the church. No one is no better than anybody else. We might have different roles, we might have different gifts, but nobody is better than the other. But the most importantly, we need to recognize that he is the stone. He is the cornerstone in which the house is being built, meaning that he is the foundation. We are being laid on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so he not only is building us as a spiritual house, but he is building us to be the spiritual house. He's building the church to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, meaning that now we are, he is calling us, he is making us to be ho the holy priesthood. In times of old, there was just a certain tribe that was able to be this, but now that we have been born again and now that we have been born into the family of God, we serve as priesthood. We get to offer spiritual sacrifices. We get to offer our offerings unto God through Jesus Christ. 
And then Peter goes on and he, he reminds them of what scripture says. He says, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And then he picks back up and he says, now to you who believe, he's talking to us, he's talking to new converts. This stone, he's talking about Jesus, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone, he refers again back to scripture, and that scripture is found in Psalms 118, where it talks about the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There's that word again. Again, he has become the cornerstone. Even though he has been rejected, he was rejected back then, and he is still being rejected today. But he is the cornerstone. He, that cornerstone is the most important stone used in building a foundation or building a a church or building a some type of structure or a structure. He is that cornerstone. And then it goes on and says in verse eight, it says, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And then it moves on to say they stumbled because they disobeyed the message, meaning those who rejected him back then are the ones who, because they disobeyed the message, which is which is the message of Jesus Christ, which, which is Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. They stumbled because they disobeyed the message. And today, that is still happening today. There are those who, like us, we will receive Christ. We will allow him to build us into his church. And then there's some who just reject him. They won't receive him and things like that. And then what I find interesting is, which is also, it says in verse um, eight, at the bottom of verse eight, it says, which is also what they were destined for. Meaning that, we just have to come to the understanding that there is people that will never receive Christ. And that is their destiny. That is their purpose. That's the purpose that they are serving. That's here in the word. I know we don't like to hear that and we don't, we, we really wish it was different, but this is the word of God. It says, which they stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. And so as we move to verse nine, he then as he's wrapping up this letter, he, he, he closes this letter by telling um, them, and we can glean from this as well, but you are a chosen people. Again, he, he, he wraps up this letter because remember in the beginning of the letter in verse one, he talks about how they are God's elect. He is addressing, this letter is addressed to God's elect, God's chosen people. So he closes by saying, but you are a chosen people, meaning we have been chosen. We are set aside for God's purposes. And he calls us a royal priesthood. When you think about royal, you think about elite. We think about uh, prestige and things like that. We are a royal priesthood. We are able to serve God. We are able to come to God on our own. We don't have to wait for another human to go to God for ourselves. We can come to God through Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, who is making intercessions for us. And then he talks about we are a holy nation, holy meaning that we are set apart. We are um, unique. We are set apart. We are set apart for his purpose. We are a church set apart, a holy nation set apart for his um, purposes. And so he, and then he moves on and says, God's special possession. That says something right there. So many of us is worried about who we are special to and will we ever have a boo or nobody really um, appreciates me. And we go through all those different things. But here, if nobody else tells you you're special, God is saying that we are God's special possession. You belong to God. You are special. You are unique. And that we, and he says this, that, he goes on to say that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He moves on to says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we wrap this up at the close of this particular letter to God's elect, he is saying we are chosen. We are royalty. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, meaning that we are sanctified. We are set apart. We are God's special possession. And because we are God's special possession, we ought to declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Again, once we were not a people, but now we are his people. Once we had not received mercy, now he extends us his mercy. And so as we grow, we need to rid ourselves of those negative things that wickedness and malice and hypocrisy. And we need to continue to feast on his spiritual word that gives us the nutrients we need to grow, to be transformed in the people that God hath created us to be. I pray that you have a restful night. I hope that you were blessed by the word as I have been blessed and hope to see you soon. Love everybody. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Baptist Church located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now thanking you for this glorious day. We understand that there may be many that went to sleep last night but did not wake up this morning. We appreciate the fact that you saw fit to have us see another day. Allow our ears to be open and not covered. Our hearts soften to receive your guidance. I pray that I be minimized so that you may be magnified. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All honor and glory be unto God. And happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you. Now, I'm sure that everyone in you all's life has had enough time to carefully plan out something creative for you all on Mother's Day during this quarantine time. I want to remind you fathers out there to remember our day is coming. And not to forget, you reap what you sow. Amen. So when it comes to our young people, we are supposed to protect them. And the famous words of Malcolm Shabazz, also known as Malcolm X, by any means necessary, are we to defend, preserve, support, guide, and protect our young people. See, they are our future. As we look at them, we oftentimes can see the potential and even greatness that is to come. A lot of times we do have to protect them from themselves. But that doesn't mean that just because they make mistakes that they aren't worth protecting. It does mean that we should work harder to protect them, to nurture them, and to guide them. Despite all of the foolish, senseless, and oftentimes questionable behaviors that I displayed growing up, I had grandmothers who still protected me from myself and from the world. I can remember one of my grandmothers telling some people that came to my came to my house looking for me, asking some specific questions about me and my whereabouts. See, her response was, I haven't seen him, but if you see him before I do, tell him to come take this trash out. Now, whether that was right or wrong, that's not the point. The point is she was protecting me in that moment. When she did see me, I was scolded for putting her in that position and strongly encouraged to take care of the matter, which was another way of her protecting me with that wise guidance. So no matter if the young person is in your family or if they are the ones you see out in public misbehaving, we must protect them because they are our future. Which leads us to today's topic, how to protect young people. Coming from Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60. And it reads, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven 
and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Our focus this morning is on a young man by the name of Stephen. Before we get into our points for this morning, I'd like to give you a little background on who Stephen was. In the early days of the church, the Christians put all of their resources together and shared a common wealth. Widows and orphans took high priority. So what they would do is distribute food on a daily basis, which led to some getting more than others. To relieve them of their burden, the apostles called for seven men of good character to be elected as deacons to take over the food distribution. Stephen was one of them. In Acts chapter 6 verse 5, Luke describes him as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Compared to the others, Stephen is the only one that Luke says that about. So I believe it's fair to say Stephen was especially gifted. He stood out above the others. Now think about that for a moment. I'm sure there is someone who you know in some part of your life that is also a step above the rest. Impeccable, just like Stephen was. To me, it seems as if Stephen was one of those type of guys who a father would, not, who a father would want to see their daughter with. He seemed to have it all together his mind and his heart at ease in every situation, just flowing through life with grace and dignity, with little effort. By the grace of God, Stephen shows superior promise. But remember, with promise comes a price. He recognized that his gifts were not for privilege, but service. He was elected to help distribute food, care for widows and orphans. That also included the poor and needy, the lame, the homebound, the feeble and the dying. You see, Stephen not only helped distribute the food to the widows and orphans, but in Acts chapter 6 verse 8, Luke goes on to say, Stephen, full of faith and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So some of you may have some questions just like I did as I was preparing for this message, such as what were the great wonders and signs that he performed? Did he heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons? Scripture doesn't say, so we'll probably never know, but it's safe to say that what he was doing caught the attention of others and not just fellow Christians either. Jews from all over the Mediterranean Acts chapter 6, verse 9 says, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. In particular, there was a den of radical extremists known as the Synagogue of the Libertines, or the Freedmen. In the second part of Acts chapter 6, verse 9, and the first part of 10, it states they disputed with Stephen, but weren't able to withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. You see, Stephen was a skilled orator who spoke with eloquence and precision. He was very knowledgeable in the Torah and Jewish history. He held his own with any rabbi or scribe. When it came to Jesus, he was uncompromising. Jesus was the promised Messiah. No if, and, or buts about it. So that led to a problem. With the promise of superior intellect and the gift of articulation came the price of confrontation. 
In Acts chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, Luke says, Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and came against him and seized him and brought him into the council. I once heard someone say the quickest way to meet the devil is to take a stand for God. Now, there definitely is some truth to that. As long as you're only doing enough to get by in life, I'm talking about the absolute bare minimum, not caring about what God expects of you, the devil will leave you alone because you're no threat to him and his agenda. But I dare you to be bold and do what has been commanded of you by feeding those who are hungry, visiting the sick and in prison, clothing the naked, quenching the thirsty's thirst, and taking in the stranger. Then you'll be on his radar, catching flack from every direction. Not only will people ask, why do you even care about the well-being of people you don't even know? You'll be talked about as if it's the most detestable thing on earth. Now that I've given you a little backdrop to what led Stephen to be put on trial and his death, let's see how to protect young people. Verse 55 reads, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. How to protect young people. Respect God. One thing that I've taught my children and other young people that I've had the opportunity to speak to is always look a person in the eye when you're speaking to them. I tell them that for a number of reasons. One, because it shows the other person that you're engaged in what they're saying. And two, is it shows respect. Part of verse 55 states that Stephen looked up steadfastly into heaven, meaning he fixed his eyes on, in, on him in an unwavering manner. That showed respect for God. Despite what was going on around him, he had enough sense to know to fix his eyes upon God. But why did he have enough sense? Well, remember, he was full of the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will cause us to do things that we in our minute minds can't even comprehend. I mean, think about it. He had the Jewish leaders have others lie on him just to get him in the court to basically be put to death. Now, how many of you can say that you would have enough respect for God or that you would even allow the Holy Spirit to lead you towards God in that situation? I know for me, I probably would have been foolish enough to try to take matters into my own hands. But that, have wouldn't, that would have gotten me into a lot of tr legitimate trouble. So there wouldn't have been a need for trumped-up charges, pun intended. We must respect God no matter the cost. Now let's take a look at verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. We must never stop listening. We see here that to get away from the facts that were being presented, they decided to stop up their ears. Basically, they were holding in the lies that they had conjured up, and they blocked the truth. How many times have we stopped listening because we wanted the lies to be true? From the government, to your boo thing, to your employer, and dare I say those innocent children of yours. You've been lied to, and you stopped at the lie rather than listening a little while longer. Maya Angelou once said, when someone shows you who they are, Believe them the first time. So if someone lied to you off the top, that's the only time you should stop listening. And once you stop, you get away from them. Now, when we think about truth, there's a saying that says, truth hurts. Notice that once Stephen spoke the truth, that they cried out as if they were being hurt. But instead of them enduring the pain of the truth, which may have caused them to get away from the lies that they had in their minds, 
they chose to attack him. Even when we think we know something to be true, we shouldn't stop listening because we just might learn something new. Now let's take a look at verse 58. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. How to protect young people? Never run God's people away. Jewish law specifies that blasphemers are to be taken out of the camp before being stoned. Leviticus 24 verse 14 says, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12 states, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside of the gate. I've been guilty of this a time or two, running God's people away. We must protect God's people, especially the young ones who haven't fully matured yet. A lot of times we run them away unintentionally by the way we scold them or look down upon them. When in reality, when it comes down to it, they are the ones that God wants to run towards the fold rather than be pushed away. So how to protect young people? Respect God. Never stop listening. Never run God's people away. Now let's look at the second part of 58. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Stay covered. In Deuteronomy 17.7, we see that according to the Jewish law, seven states the hands of the witnesses must be put first, must be the first in putting that person to death. And when the hands of all the people now, in this case, they are removing their garments so that they will not be hindered as they proceed to stone Stephen. But when we think of a garment or covering in a spiritual sense, we must remain covered. Had they been truly covered spiritually, they would have saw that Stephen truly was speaking truth. So a few weeks ago, I had to transplant some lilies that the children had planted for my wife um, a few years ago. And when I transplanted those um, those lilies, that left a, a big open space in the front of our home. So what I did was I got some seeds of another plant and I started planting those seeds. And just a few days ago, some of those um, little plants, they started popping up through the ground. So. I realized that as observing the forecast, I saw that there was some frost coming in. So what I did was I went out last night before um, the frost came in and I covered covered all of the plants because obviously they're just coming up through the ground. So I wasn't able to actually bring them inside. So I went out and I covered them. Now, one of the reasons why I covered them is because there was some hard work that was put into tilling that ground to get it prepared for those seeds that were planted. So I wanted to make sure that they were protected from the frost that was to come. Now, unlike the flowers that needed to stay covered for protection only during the freezing temps, we must stay covered spiritually. Our covering leads us when we don't know which way to go and protects us from unknown attacks. Because unlike me knowing that the freezing temps were on the horizon, which caused me to cover the precious plants, we don't know when hurt, harm, or danger is on our horizon. So we must remain covered, no matter the cost. So before I come to a close, let's take a look at verse 60. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How to protect young people? Respect God. Never stop listening. Never run God's people away. Stay covered and know your sin. Stephen kneeling down and crying out with a loud voice echoes Jesus' crying 
with the loud voice as he died on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. When Stephen said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them, that echoes Jesus' words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And when it states, when he said this, he fell asleep, that echoes the account of Jesus' death. When Luke tells us in chapter 23, verse 46, having said this, he breathed his last breath. I don't think this was a happenstance that Luke expressed the similarities of Jesus' death and Stephen's death. Both were holy men who were unjustly executed. Based on their actions, I don't know they realized that they had sinned by killing these innocent men. But we must know our sins and turn from them. We must be so in tune with God that even when we unintentionally sin, we must quickly recognize it. In order to protect our young people from making the mistakes that we've made, we must confess our sins to them. Not to brag, but to show them that we aren't perfect. Far too often, we are trying to correct our young people. We can come across as holier than thou. One of the hardest things I had to do as a father was to admit one of my deepest, darkest, deepest, deepest, darkest sins to my children. I'll never forget the looks on their faces and the questions that came after the confession. Even though I wasn't too thrilled on letting them into my closet, I now recognize the good that will eventually come from it. So as I think about protection, Psalm 91 comes to mind, and it reads, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And that is how you protect young people. Psalm 33, verse 20. We depend on the Lord above to save us. Only he can help us, protect us like a shield. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this glorious morning? Good, good. That's good to hear. Everybody happy that um, things are moving towards getting back to some sense of normalcy? Notice I said moving towards. We haven't arrived there yet, but hopefully we'll be moving towards the, the right direction. So how are my, all my children doing this morning? Are you all getting on your mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and guardians' nerves? Or are they getting on your nerves? You don't even know what nerves are, so you can't even say that. 
All right, so this morning I want to talk about God's protection. So growing up, when I was teaching my children how to ride bikes, one thing that we had to do was they had to wear helmets. Now, a lot of times they would get upset about having to wear the helmet. I, I don't really think it was the older two, Montezio or Montreal. I think it was maybe Leia and Montel who didn't want to wear the helmet. Sometimes Leia would um, not want to wear the helmet because maybe she had barrettes in her hair or little ballies that would hurt as the helmet is sitting on top of her head. So a lot of times she may not have wanted to necessarily wear the helmet. And then there were other times when they would ask questions like, do I have to? And then I would say yes. And then they say why. And then I say you know why. The whole reason behind having to wear a helmet. And then they'll say something along the lines of it will protect me if I fall. And then I would say yes, it will protect you if you fall. I don't do it to make you miserable, do I? No, not at all. I do it because I want you to be protected. Now, a couple weeks ago, I was teaching Daniel how to ride a bike, and I went and got Daniel this cool Black Panthers helmet. Now, Daniel would wear the helmet around the house, even if he wasn't getting ready to ride the bike. That's how cool he thought the helmet was. But when we're thinking about that helmet, we have to make sure that we remember that it's for our protection. No matter how uncomfortable it may be, no matter how ugly it looked, and maybe that was the case when my children were growing up. Maybe the helmet was just ugly and they didn't want to wear it. But at the time, that was all that I could afford. But I didn't do them. I didn't make them want to wear. I didn't make them wear a helmet because I was being mean. I just wanted them all to be safe. And God's commandments are a lot like the bicycle helmet. They aren't meant to harm us. They're meant to protect us. They're not meant to be mean, but to keep us safe. So I want you all to remember that. The next time you see a helmet, let that be a reminder of the commandments that God has called us to do. And it's just for our protection. That's it. Just for our protection. Well, I hope that everyone enjoys the rest of their day. I hope all of my children have gotten your mothers and your grandmothers and the other women in your life. I hope that you were able to come up with some creative way to show your appreciation for your mothers on today. Everybody be well, and I'll talk to you all later.